Good morning. It's good to be with you. I'll be reading from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I have acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as a foremost, Jesus Christ might display the perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God to honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made the shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blasphemy. God, our Heavenly Father, we truly thank you for calling us here today. We thank you for the music we just heard. And Lord, we ask now that you be with Aaron as he brings us the message. And may we open our ears to hear what he has, and we'll be blessed by it. In your son's name, amen. The Alphas may be dismissed. Well, I love our music team, and that was fun. So we, I think we have a couple options. Either Dale's going to hone you or be a hound towards you for those who can play. You could just say you will play. We can pray that God would raise up some other musicians, or we could just try and sell Amy and her team to join us. But I think that might be awkward for Femi, who's on staff at East Randolph. Well, this is just another Femi, Marty, and I were meeting Thursday or Friday this week. And uh, it was just another way for us to continue to be partnered together as two local churches uh, seeking after the same thing and each other's growth uh, as churches. Just an easy way for us to serve one another. And so thank you uh, all for, for joining us this morning and leading us in song. Well, I have news for you. If, if as we get into 1 Timothy chapter 1, I do have to hate to break it to you, but you don't entirely miss the good old days. Maybe you miss the sugar house. Maybe you miss the depth of the river. Maybe you miss a loved one. We do miss the good old days, but not everything about them. The other day I walked upstairs and I saw an old DVD case on the floor that my kids had left there. I didn't even know we had a DVD player anymore. Uh, my kids were watching blurry movies as opposed to using the high definition streaming that we have. 
The good old days didn't include instant viewing. The good old days used to require waiting for a song to play on the radio. You push the cassette in, you push record, you miss the opening of the song. You couldn't just listen to songs when you wanted to all the time. The good old days used to be mom yelling, get off the internet, I need to call 411. As I was talking to Leah the other day, the good old days also included a chalkboard. And that screeching still makes me shiver. The good old days was two feet of snow just two months ago. Last week, we looked up the good old days under the law. The law reminds those who are in Christ of our former life in sin. The goodness of God to address the false teaching in Ephesus began with the law, but it ends with the gospel. The gospel provides great grace and great mercy. Jared Wilson says the law isn't bad. It's just not as good as the gospel. The gospel around here we define as the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The law showed us our need for a savior. The gospel is the answer. Friends, we don't miss anything about those good old days. Would you pray with me? We'll look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 and following. Father, we thank you for your abundant mercy and grace as we saw in our catechism, as we sang in those songs, as we pray this moment, and as we will see in your word, as we hear your word preached, God, would you remind us of your abundant grace and mercy, the gratitude that we have because of it, the worship you deserve because of it, and, and in discipline that we engage in personally and corporately because of what your son has done for us. And so God, would you transform our hearts this morning? And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So our time this morning is gonna be broken off into three chunks of three verses in our passage. The gospel leads to thankfulness, it leads to praise, and it leads to discipline. So confronting and confronted by these false teachers in the battlefield of life, the law corrects, but the gospel, it appeals to us. Let's look at those first three verses again. I'll read it again. Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. In this first section, we see a sinner saved by grace. The law is contrasted with God's irresistible grace. Paul's saying, look what God has done for me. Paul says, God strengthened me. He judged me faithful. He put me to his service. I receive mercy. Paul didn't do anything on his own, and neither do we. God does it all. And what's shocking about this is consider who Paul was, ignorant and unbelieving, like we used to be in the good old days. Paul is saying, can you believe what has happened 
because you know who I was. Verse 14, and the ESV says, and the grace. But it should be better translated in light of, I was a sinner, but the grace of the Lord overflowed for me. Paul was saying, can you believe God would do such a thing for me? The law is contrasted with the solution to the problem, the gospel. Paul knew who he was. He knew his good old days. Dramatically saved on his way to murder Christians in Acts 9, God chose him. He gave him a mission. He gave him the gift of faith to believe the gospel, to receive favor when he rightfully deserved God's righteous judgment. Augustine says, God does not choose anyone who is worthy, but in choosing him, renders him worthy. That's what Paul is saying. The law showed Paul's unworthiness, and the gospel makes Paul worthy. The gospel makes Paul faithful. And this faithfulness appointed by God appoints Paul to his service. Paul's mission comes from God, and he has a purpose now that is right and proper. The gospel confronts our unexcused ignorance. Our sin is magnified by the law when it is known. Yet the good old days are confronted with the gospel. The false teachers that Timothy needs to conf confront are doing what Paul used to do. Let me read what Paul says to the Roman church in chapter 5. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Sounds like our passage this morning. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Where grace abounded, the vessel is overflowing with grace. And God has grace that is greater than our sin. We sing that song sometimes. In Scripture, Paul often refers to himself as a relatively perfect man, a Jewish man, a Pharisee, a Hebrew. He persecuted the church thinking that he was right, the church was wrong. Yet he realizes, as he says in Philippians, it was rubbish. Or to use a Vermont term, it was manure. The gospel of grace confronts Paul's ignorance. It confronts his unbelief. Paul's the epitome of undeserved merit and favor. The law prescribes punishment for the violations of God, and Paul performed those. But Paul received grace. Friends, the gospel is so much better than the law. And the overflow of grace sparked an outburst of thanksgiving. Got to go back up to verse 12 to see that. That the grace of God, the scandal of sin, that he was saved by grace, it sends shockwaves through his soul. This is personal. And he cannot not be utterly grateful for what God has done for him. And so remember why Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. It's against these false teachers. And we don't tend to approach false teaching with, I'm so thankful. We tend to approach with, you're wrong. The prep for, for confronting false teaching, though, starts with integrity and thankfulness. 
Jesus confronted this with integrity in Matthew chapter 7. He says, judge not that you not be judged. If you were here on Wednesday night, you heard Marty talk about this. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus isn't saying that we are not to judge. But he's saying be a personal optometrist before you be an optometrist for other people. What Paul's saying, can you believe that God saved me? By grace, he can save the false teachers as well. You're to correct false teaching, but first start with gratitude, knowing that we used to be false ourselves. I know exactly how this goes. I know the struggle in turning from sin. I thought I was perfect or righteousness or I didn't deserve or need grace, but I did and I've received it. How about you, church? Have you considered God's grace in your life lately? Whatever your former life used to look like, fill in the blanks. Christ Jesus strengthened me and you. He judged me and you. He put you and I to his service for those who believe, and we are thankful because we were ignorant. Or maybe the list of sins that we saw last week of murder, hating your father and your mother, lying, sexual immorality, whatever. Be thankful for God's grace in your life. Consider the good old days when you had a log in your eye. Are you thankful? Friends, the law, the law magnifies our need for the gospel and the gospel provides grace to confront our false teaching and the false teaching around us or even in this church. It's a miracle like folks like us are given grace by a holy and perfect God to save us from his own wrath. We are saved by God from God. Us who have believed, we exclaim in thanksgiving, can you believe that even I was saved? The gospel also provides mercy, not receiving what we do deserve as a consequence for sin. You still like your good old days? Look at the next three verses. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience and as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So five times in the pastoral epistles in First and Second Timothy and Titus, Paul uses this phrase. This saying is trustworthy. This is Timothy's call, and for us, of course, to pay attention. 
This is of utmost importance. This is highest priority. We have a frank summary of a significant gospel truth. Church, we are to pay attention and listen. God's grace is further explained in the abundance of his mercy. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And if Paul's salvation isn't a shock, the aftershocks continue knowing that God is the one who did the work in Paul's life. Jesus came to save sinners who would believe in him for eternal life. Paul was a sinful, religious, righteous man with a false understanding of the law. And Jesus was patient with him, he says in the text. And this is what Peter said to uh, his church that he was writing to. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so the more Paul knew his sin, the more he grasped the magnitude of his mercy, of God's mercy. The more he deepened his own consciousness of his own sinful mind, he realized that he is the chief of sinners, the worst of sinners, the foremost of sinners. Richard Zib said, there is more grace in Christ than sin in you. And Paul deserved a just punishment for his sin. But verse 16 reminds us that's why Jesus came to give mercy. And Paul is living proof of the gospel transformation, not from the law that we saw last week, but from the gospel that we see this week, that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Paul used to be that false teacher propagating lies and the mercy he received to deliver him from his good old days is the same mercy that you and I can receive today. But it can also be the same mercy that those false teachers receive that have been plaguing this church in Ephesus. Paul started with gratitude, but here he breaks out in praise to the king of ages, immortal, Invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He cannot, he's writing this letter, he cannot hold back his worship. The undying, unseen, uncreated God of the universe deserves all our honor and glory forever. John Frame says this while God is exalted in royal dignity, and exercises both control and authority in his creation, he is, by virtue of that same control and authority, very present to help his creation, especially his people, in a personal and intimate way. And it is because of that that Paul cannot declare that truth back to his loving Father. Friends, he is our very present help in times of trouble. From our greatest trouble from our sin and it should fling us to worship and so we should first be thankful that God would save a sinner like Paul and second we should be worshipful that God would come to earth as the second member of the Trinity to die for sinners like Paul and you and I the grace and mercy of God strengthened Paul for his task to confront these false teachers and so how's your worship? When we confront false teaching, when it comes with gratitude and thanksgiving and worship, it becomes a lot more winsome 
rather than a turnoff to those who need a correction. Not shouting or posting, those people are wrong, but rather shouting about how amazing God is or posting how glorious he is for the grace that he gave to me. That's much more attractive. Jonathan Edwards says, spiritual delight in God arises chiefly from his beauty and perfection, not from the blessings he gives us. The world says those Christians, they just complain about everything. What if our display was grateful worshipers desiring for others to just join us? Can you believe God has done this for you? The saying is trustworthy. Jesus has been patient with us. He came to save us from our good old days. Don't worry about them outside of this church before we consider he came to save us. And so grace and mercy lead to gratitude and to praise. And then Paul reiterates the charge in his final section. This is how you confront the false teaching with discipline. Verse 18, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. This tone is emotional from Paul to Timothy, to his beloved Timothy, we see up in verse two. So consider a father. Maybe your son would go into military service and he's getting ready to go to basic training and he pulls him in close. He puts his arm around him. He looks into his eyes. This charge I entrust to you. Timothy, you've been given a job significantly and supernaturally. God has called you to wage war. And the war starts within you, my son. Consider God's grace and mercy. Wage your good warfare. The, the voice of the Greek here is wage your own war within yourself. This isn't to confront the tall false teachers yet. Hold your faith in a good conscience without hypocrisy. It will shipwreck your life if you don't. Before you confront those false teachers, consider God's grace in your life, Timothy. Consider his mercy for you, Timothy. Timothy is in for a battle, but the battle starts at home first. In his own heart, in his own mind, the good conscience is the rudder of the ship, leading him right or left to avoid the rocks that will shipwreck his life. Don't fall into the trap yourself, Timothy. Pay attention. Get to your destination. Finish your race. On the airplane, right? We've all heard the saying, put your own mask on first before you put the mask on a child or you'll have two people who can't breathe. Paul says, Timothy, wage your good warfare. But then Paul shows Timothy what to do. He deals with Alexander and Hymenaeus. These folks have heard the law. They've been part of the community of God's people. They have received the gospel, but they have apostatized. They have turned away. They have not followed 
the truth that they have heard. Paul's not willing to ask Timothy anything that Paul's not willing to do himself first. Imagine if I invited you to join at family table or to come to midweek and I never showed up. They've rejected their personal faith. They've brought Christ into reproach. They've disgraced this church in Ephesus. And Alexander appears to be a former leader as he stood up in Acts 19 and led by example himself. Hymenaeus, we'll see in 2 Timothy, still plaguing the church. But Paul has handed them over to Satan. This is a euphemism for putting them out of the church. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 17, to someone who persists in sins after rebuking them and calling them to repentance after going with another brother or sister multiple times, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Paul's saying, do church discipline. Timothy, do personal discipline first, then do church discipline. Supposedly part of the church, yet unwilling to repent and believe, leaders are charged to put these folks out of the church, to be put aside of the covenant community, to be outside of the blessing, to be under the influence of Satan is a loving thing to do for God's people to show each of us what we might be missing. You're missing God's grace. You're missing God's mercy. You're missing fellowship not only with God's people but with God himself. Love is not ignoring sin. Love is not ignoring someone who's been excommunicated either. Jesus ate with these Gentiles and tax collectors and sinners. He didn't approve of their lifestyle, but he used his time to engage with them. Like us, we can evangelize non-believers, but also those who show that they might not actually be believers. We're basically giving people what they're asking. I want to live like an unbeliever, and so, okay, go do it and see where that leads you too. The Lord's table is prohibited. Church, next week we celebrate that. Maybe take some time this week to reflect on this. The benefits of being part of God's covenant community are hindered. The intent is that they realize that they're lost and that they repent, going back to their gracious and merciful Father in heaven, waiting like the prodigal son to come back. And the father, what does he do? If you're familiar with that story, he sees the son coming and he runs to embrace his beloved son. Handing over to Satan protects the church from exposure to false teaching and a lifestyle that is opposed to God's word. In Galatians 5, Paul says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. We hand them over to the law to show their need for repentance, their need for a Savior who has grace and mercy, who died for them. You want to go back to your good old days? Fine. But it won't provide you what you need. Paul has charged Timothy with the law and the gospel, transformed by grace and mercy, to be disciplined and to do discipline. Look into my eyes, son. Fight for your holiness. Then go fight for the holiness of God's people who you've been entrusted to care for. Church, 
Fight for your holiness and also fight for each other's holiness. Have a good conscience. When the website comes up, block it, delete it, close it. When the temptation to steal or to cut a corner, don't do it. When the opportunity to lie, whatever sin plagues you, fight your good fight by the grace of God. And let's also be the church of the type of church that wants to fight each other's good fights with them. We fight those sins in us that Paul listed in the last section we saw last week. I'm not perfect at this. One of my kids came up to me this week and said, Hey, Dad, you're telling me not to do what you've done. And my flippant response was, Okay. And as those words came out of my mouth, my conscience was not good. My words were not okay. I was sinfully flippant. But that's God's grace to remind me of that. Trust your conscience. But also trust God's word. That when it says don't do it, don't do it. I heard a pastor recently say, God doesn't provide a way of escape if you're proactively walking into your sin. Flee sinful passions, church. I had to repent. I had to ask for forgiveness. Discipline isn't punitive. It's corrective. It's restorative. My kid didn't want me to be punished. But they wanted me to see my error. They wanted me to repent. My spirit uses God's word to convict by God's grace to restore us while we recognize our errors and we repent of our sins personally. J.C. Ryle asks, what's the best safeguard against false doctrine? The Bible. Regularly read, regularly prayed over, and regularly studied. And with the grateful, worshipful, and self-disciplined posture, we're then called to go correct false teaching. Against false teachers, a firm hand is still gentle, having received much grace ourselves. We want to use the mercy of God to mold hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, like God does. God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance, and we, church, get to model this. And so let's be a grateful church, a worshipful church, and a disciplined church. Discipline is not fun and easy all the time. Correction is a fight, but it's the best way to love one another. And so let's fight our personal sin. Let's love one another enough to fight for each other's holiness. Sin displeases the Lord, and ultimately it ends with everlasting torment if we don't believe the gospel and repent of our sin and follow Jesus. And so it's loving to say, hey, we miss you around here. We miss you shaping us and you miss us shaping you. It's loving to say, hey, that lifestyle, that choice that you're making is against the Bible and what God says to do. Don't fall into the trap and the snare of the enemy. God transforms those who are his children, who believe 
He transforms us to the image of his son. Do you believe that? If so, be with us. Because God uses each of us to accomplish the end that he says in the scripture. When you're tempted to sleep in or had a long weekend or just don't want to join us on Sunday or a prayer gathering or a family table or midweek, remember, this is self-discipline for our good, for our growth, for our godliness. It's fighting the good fight of faith within ourselves. There's a pastor down in Florida. He says, coming to church on a Sunday starts on Saturday. Fighting isn't easy, but it's worth it. Remember that next time we want to stay home, be away from God's people. This here is a means of grace to each of us where we hear the word read, we hear the word sung, we hear the word prayed, and we hear the word preached. And discipline is motivated by love with the hope that sinners will turn back and repent. That's all of us. We all need to repent even today. Satan is out for the church. He always has been. When he came to Eve in the garden, he said, did God really say, you've heard me say this a bunch of times. Eve's response should have been, yes, he did, but she didn't, and the rest is history. And this false teaching that has been plaguing this Ephesian church is demonic. When you have a hammer, not everything is a nail, but when you see the nail of demonic activity and false teaching, swing the hammer. Just don't hit each other's fingers in the process. We have to be precise. We have to give grace. We have to share truth. And we do so with thankfulness and praise and our own personal discipline. And so five more chapters we have in 1 Timothy. Paul will lead Timothy to do this, to fight the good fight in himself, but also in the church. And so may we be known as a church that knows the law, that believes the gospel, is thankful, that offers unceasing worship, has integrity in our own hearts and the hearts of each other. The law is the good old days, but today is a much better day. Living in light of and because of the gospel, it's much, much better. The good old days has our sin for those who believe in Jesus. And in light of that, let's help each other to leave those good old days behind us. Because after believing and repenting, we can also call others to join us, to join us in our repentance because our best days become today and also the days ahead of us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your abundant grace and mercy. Whereas we are justified in Christ for believing the gospel, we are saved from the power and penalty of sin in our past and our present and also our future. And God, we would be fools to say that we would not sin even now, later today, tomorrow, the days, weeks, months, years ahead. But God, we thank you that your son came to die in our place on the cross for those sins as well. That nothing can ever snatch us out of your tight grip. At the same time, 
you will never cast us away. And so God, would you help us to live in light of that tension, knowing that we are in Christ and we are saved and we have a battle to wage in our own hearts and minds every day of our lives that we would rest in the grace and mercy that comes through your son's work on our behalf, but we would fight our good fight of faith knowing that we are not earning anything to um, receive right relationship with you, but we are responding in light of the right relationship we received because your son came to die for sinners like us. And so God, we want to lift up our voice in thankfulness, in praise, and even discipline, maybe singing, even this moment, is, is, is a fight and a discipline. God, would you give us the grace to do that as we finish up our time together. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.